As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 10 of the Former Action Guys podcast. I'm your host, Justin Kramer, and I'm here tonight. I was supposed to have my friend Emmett Lamb on. He was a uh, lieutenant, JG. Um, actually, I want to, you know what? I, I don't want to mess up his rank, whatever he was, <clears throat> excuse me, at First Anglico. That's, I, I met him, I think, right after he left there, actually. I met him while he was at EWTG PAC. Um, but anyway, we we were supposed to have a episode recorded together, and what happens is, is if I have somebody that's you know not here in Southern California, and I, I live in San Diego. If they're not here and I can't come to them, then we we do the interview over Skype, and I have or FaceTime, and then I have them record their side of the audio on their own. So either they take their laptop and we we talk to each other on Skype with headphones on, so you can't hear my audio from the laptop. And then they set their phone to the side and record it on an MP3 app like GarageBand or a different app. <clears throat> and something happened on his end where the audio did not save correctly or something happened. He tried to recover it. just It didn't work out. It's unfortunate. We had a good two and a half hour conversation about his time in the Navy, uh, his time in the Naval Academy. He's a Naval Academy graduate. Uh, his time as a JTAC at First Anglico. And he was... You know, he did a lot of interesting stuff. He did a deployment to Afghanistan. Um, his team was the one guy was a team that got hit by a car bomb at their FOB. Um, so, you know, these really good stories, really good lessons learned from his deployment to Afghanistan. Um, and he, we were there about the same time in 2013. So we'll have him back on and we'll re-record the episode. But I didn't want to lose the continuity. And I did a vote. If you're not on my Instagram page, you should be. It's Jay Kramer Graphics. I did a vote on the stories there if I should... Go ahead and just record an episode with me, um, just me talking, give me, give you guys some updates and stuff like that, or if I should just skip it for the week, and people voted, and here we are, we're recording the episode, so, which I'm totally cool with, because I think continuity is key, and I know there's some people that listen to it, you know, they have a routine, and I feel like I want to, I don't want to fuck your routine up by not, you know, having my episode ready and stuff like that. Unfortunate technical difficulty, it is what it is, you know? I'm supposed to be recording, um, this week I'm supposed to record three different interviews, so that'll set me up for the next three weeks, so if one of them messes up, then, you know, I should have two more to fall back on, so hopefully this doesn't, this isn't an issue anymore, um, but, you know, um, it is what it is, it's just like everything else in the world, you know, you gotta adapt to the problem and move along, so here we are, and, yeah, alright, so, to get started, first off, as always, check out my website, Jay Kramer Graphics. Um, just know that like, I'm a free. I do freelance graphic design. If you go on the website, if you've never been on the website, 
there's a, it's almost all, not almost all, but mostly Anglico stuff. Just because when I got out of the Marine Corps, I noticed there was no, nobody was making any kind of Anglico gear and dudes were hitting people up, you know, on Facebook, like, Hey, is anyone at the company? Can someone give me a t-shirt and stuff like that? And I'm like, this is fucked up. Like there's a, there's a better way to do this. Guys want shirts. Um, you know, and you shouldn't have to go through some shady eBay company to get it from China, like a two, two months after you order it. Um, so I figured I'd fill, fill the gap. I started the, the website and everything like that. But although there's a lot of Anglico stuff, I can do other units. I can do other companies. I do civilian companies. I do graphic design. So if you have a logo already, send it to me and we can put it on some stuff. Or if you need a logo made, hit me up, let me know what your idea is and, and we'll get something worked out. But that's what I do. That's my full-time job is that website along with being a full-time student at San Diego State University. So just know that that website's not some like little side cash thing. That's like my thing I'm eating off of, you know. And plus, obviously, my GI Bill and stuff when I'm when I'm actually in school. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, www.jkramergraphics.com. Uh, I felt really weird saying www right there, but whatever. Check out the custom orders tab if you've never been to the website, and you can kind of see what other organizations have done. Some of those logos I've created. Some of those logos have been sent to me. Uh, there's a little bit of mix. You can't really tell, but you can kind of see. You can get an idea of the work I do, and yeah. So check out the website. Check out the Instagram page, J Kramer Graphics. I post, you know, videos I think are funny or I think are cool, and yeah. And so check that out. And like I said, I did today. I did the uh, the. Uh, um, poll to see if, if I should run the episode and sometimes I give away stuff on there for like best uh if somebody can like do best caption contests and stuff like that so um if you look at my Facebook page I know a lot of people aren't really on Facebook anymore they're pulling away from Facebook some my Facebook page I put news articles I think are interesting and feel free to comment I like to see dialogue on both sides um I've already been called like some left, someone's told me I'm a left wing something. Like maybe they should unfollow my page, and I'm like, all right, man. Like I guess so. Like I think if anybody knew me, they know I'm definitely not left wing, but I am common sense. So, um, you can't be loyal to a party. You got to be loyal to like your morals and like just what's right. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't know. Criticize when when needed, I guess. But anyway, I'm. I don't feel I'm left wing, but I feel like I'm more right wing and moderate right wing. So <clears throat> if you have any questions about that, hit me up on one of those pages and ask me about them. But yeah, so you can check out the Facebook. I post news articles and stuff like that. I post, so today I posted, I don't know what is going on with this video. I posted a video of a fish getting put into, it. someone made a video. I don't know who made it. If you made it, hit me up, please. So you can get credit for it. Cause it's, it's going big on Instagram. It's only had 2,100 views. Um, but on my Facebook right now, uh, I posted it today and let me look, it's at over 40,000 views. So if you made the video, please feel free to reach out and I will give you full credit for it. But I didn't, I just thought it was a, I woke up this morning and I was like, what am I going to post? And I put that video up cause it kind of made me laugh. And I think it's, I don't, it's not the most shared video. I don't think it is on my Instagram or my Facebook, but it's pretty close. Um, so that's the kind of stuff I post. Anyway, that's my Facebook. Twitter, Twitter. it's just me asking questions when I go on. I go on to new... I'm a journalism student, so one, I have to post certain stuff for, for my class. I use that as my profile. Uh, I might as well, since I, you know, whatever. 
Uh, I just created it anyway, so there's not a lot of background or depth to it. But what you'll see is me getting on to where I go and read news articles and stuff like that, and then I'll just make comments. You know, if people, I, I just I want to understand people's positions, and I just sometimes it just blows my mind. Like when you read, and this is on the left and the right. There's crazies everywhere. You know, there's crazy. The fringe on both ends are killing us, but. It is what it is. Anyway, Twitter, if you want to get on there, hit me up. It's former Action Guys, the number four MER Action Guys. Um, yeah, so. Okay. Also, on my Instagram tonight, I, I put up, hey, I told everyone, hey, I'm I'm going solo on the podcast. So, if you got any questions, um, shoot them my way and I'll answer them on the show. So, this is one of the reasons why you should be following my Instagram if you're not. But I'm going to go ahead and pull these questions up right now as I'm sitting here recording this. And, alright, <clears throat> here we go. Start off with the first one. This one is from, um, let me pull this up. This one's from Tropic underscore Thunderbeast. So, Tropic underscore Thunderbeast asked, Did you ever consider switching over to the Air Force to be a JTAC or CCT? This is actually a pretty common question. Um, I feel like a lot of... Maybe it's not a common question. It's a common question amongst Marine JTACs that have been doing it for a little bit. Yes, I have definitely. I did. I not recently, but I did while I was still in consider um, switching over to be uh, a JTAC or see what my options were at least within the Air Force and like the STS or something like that, which is uh, their Special Tactics Squadron. Um, it's to me the Marine Corps JTACs. I think overall are better and that's just because we have more practice like integrating fires and stuff like that um doing call for fire doing mortar work and stuff like that i think we have more opportunities to do straight like integration and and you know and that's kind of what it's all about really uh then there are air force counterparts um which i'm i'm not you know kicking them at all because air force guys are great i think they honestly get more air i believe than we do so their JTAC skills are great. They just have a different way of controlling. They're more loose with the aircraft. They'll let the aircraft kind of kind of do their own thing. Where Marine JTACs are more um, controlling. You know, we we want to tell the aircraft where to hold in the sky, where to go, what altitude they're flying at, what ordnance they're going to drop, when they're going to drop it. That's like because we. <laughs> And it's hard for people outside of the community to understand that, but it's also it's because we need we need to know all these details and be very specific because yeah, the aircraft is doing this, but we also have like an artillery mission on the other side of the battlefield shooting into the same part and we're trying to keep the safety of the aircraft in mind and stuff like that. So that's the kind of stuff that I think Marines do better. Um but yes, I have considered or I did consider going into the Air Force or um for their JTAC program or CCTs. Um and a lot of guys do. And I think what I do like about the Air Force is that they, their guys on that air side start from, from the beginning. Like when, when I come in, hey, that's all I'm doing. I'm, I'm, you know, you start out as a Romad, which is their uh, radio operator, mechanic, and driver. You know, that's what I've heard it's called. I don't know if that's 100%, so feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you start out as a Romad, then you work your way up. You know, and you're like a JFO in the Marine Corps kind of deal, a joint fires observer, meaning you can call in fire missions and you can control air, but you can't you can't actually give the clearance for aircraft. You have to have a JTAC to do that. 
So you move up from that, and then you move up into their other positions. They're, they're the way they promote, and you get up into it, and you become a JTEC, you stay in that job. That, and that's the way it should be. The Marine Corps, I don't I have no idea why. The Marine Corps brings up your 0861s, you know, your fire support men, and train them up. They sometimes sometimes you become a JFO before you become a JTEC, sometimes you don't. I wasn't a, I wasn't. I was a lap mover. Um so I didn't really have a lot of time to go to JFO, but um yeah, I was I just went to straight to TCP school. A lot of guys go and become a JFO first, which is great because you get all that experience working with the aircraft and doing all the stuff. So it makes TCP school, the Tactical Air Control Party School up in Virginia or um, Coronado, a lot easier. Um, but once you're a JTAC, you know, the Marine Corps gets their two pumps out of you, which, you know, they'll send you over to two deployments or something. Maybe, not even always. And some guys get histed, meaning, I don't remember what it stands for, but that means you get pulled to go do recruiting duty, like you're forced to go do recruiting duty. Um... Guys get switched out of the units or they get put into a non-JTAC kind of billet and stuff like that. Uh, it's just, and then once you do a couple years, a lot of times you can get pulled over to be like a battalion fire chief or something. You know, it's just, it. there's no continuity. So there's a few guys that become JTACs and become, and now, even now, okay, so the the requirements have increased. So before you had to be a JTAC for, I think it's one year, and then you could... Um, was it one year? I want to say it was one year, and then you could you could do your um, syllabus to become a JTAC evaluator. You know, which has its different controls. You have to do a combined sequential with aircraft. You have to do you know teach classes and stuff like that. So it's just, there's a whole list of stuff you got to do, and you have to have a WTI, a weapons tactics instructor, sit and evaluate you and write up your paperwork and stuff like that. So you wait a year, you can start your process to get it, become a JTAC E if, you know, you're deemed even good enough to do that. And then once you've passed that, you're a JTAC E. Well, if you get the opportunity, then you can go to WTI, which is another school, which is, you know, where all that's like the, the top gun of the Marine Corps, the weapons and tactics instructor course. Um, the JTACs will go there and they'll come out and they will be WTIs. And you have to wait, you know, I think you have, I think there's another wait limit, maybe not on the WTI part. Either way, now though, now you, you become a JTAC, then you have to wait a year to become a JTAC I, meaning you can do a lot of the same stuff that a JTAC E can do. And a JTAC I means JTAC instructor. You can do a lot of the stuff that a JTAC E can do, but it's, um, you can't do full evaluations on some guys and stuff like that. And then you have to wait another year to get to a JTAC E. The problem here, and what I'm getting at, is that if the Marine Corps will move dudes around and they don't necessarily care that they're a JTAC, you could get to that pinnacle of like becoming an I or an E and then get pulled away to go do something completely different. And it's like all this time and all this money was wasted, you know, training you up and putting you in that position, and then they just pull you away, which... I knew a guy who went to TCP school, so Tactical Air Control Party School up in Virginia. And before he got his first control, he got pulled for recruiting duty. Before he got his first control after school. Like, he graduated school. He's a JTAC. And then he got back from school, and they're like, hey, sorry, you got histed. And then it was like, you know, it's it just... So, the Air Force, that's not going to happen. Like, if you're going to go be a JTAC in the Air Force, you're going to stay in that position. There may be some... Um, 
I may be off base a little bit. I'm, I'm speaking just out of experience talking to guys and stuff like that. I would love to have an Air Force JTAC, CCT, you know, anyone within STS or whatever to come on the podcast. So if anybody has a contact in that and they want to um, come on and further explain it, I think the audience would appreciate it. But I would, I would tell guys that are considering lat moving to be an 0861 um, because they want to become a JTAC because that's the way that's the easiest way to become a JTAC. I would tell you to seriously consider going into the Air Force, 100%. Just because even if you lat move to be a fire support man, yeah, you're going to be screened for sure. Um, any sergeant in the Marine Corps is getting, as an 0861 is getting screened to go to TCP school because everyone's so shorthanded, and same thing in the Air Force. Um, but like I said, once you're in it, you're in it. And that's and, and be aware, the decision to be in that, that job means you know back-to-back deployments always gone training like it's great it's good time especially if you're single i wasn't single i was married at the time and it's you know it can be detrimental so understand what you're getting yourself into the other cool thing is the air force i know before i got out i remember seeing an article i think it was in the air force times saying that their JTACs with one year's experience were getting like 400 extra dollars a month because of you know the the hazardous duty and the you know tempo, and obviously that's something the Marine Corps um, is not doing. So, anyway, good question. Thanks again um, for the. Ah, thanks again for the question there. I'm sorry, I'm trying to pull up the name while I'm talking. Uh, Tropic underscore Thunder Beast. So next question. <clears throat> this one came from A J O K. So A J A Y O K A Y. He just put 0311 versus 11 Bravo. So for those outside of the, the military, 0311 is a Marine Corps infantryman um, or Marine Corps rifleman. And then 11 Bravo is the uh, infantryman for the Army. I honestly, most of the time, all the infantry guys I worked with, I mean, most of the infantry, just like every job, there's some shitheads. But most of the dudes I worked with were good dudes. Um, they knew what they were doing. I never heard a complaint about infantry Marines not doing what they do, which is fuck shit up. Um, they're really good at it. <laughs> you know, they just go in and you put a bunch of 18 to 20 whatever year olds caged up, ready to go, tell them how to fight every day. You know, that's all they do. And then you release them. And, good, you know, good things happen for our mission and bad things happen to the enemy. And there's tons of stories out there about Marine infantrymen and, um, you know, they've proven themselves on the battlefield. And again, like I said, there's shit bags everywhere. So there's definitely some shit bag infantrymen. There's definitely some shit bag like 0861s. Um, but overall I have a very great impression of Marine Corps infantrymen. I don't think, um, I don't think the legacy is tarnished at all. Um, I think there's some, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I think the legacy is good. I'm trying to think of bad stuff that Marine Corps infantrymen have done that I know about. I mean, you, you hear about like the peeing on the dead bodies and stuff like that and inappropriate for sure. But is that the worst thing you hear about in a war? I mean, that's fucked up just because you're kind of doing it and like it's after the fact. But I mean, anybody that's been in combat knows that there's some... There's some crazy stuff that goes on, and 
I don't, I'm not even going to get into that whole story because I, I wasn't there or anything like that, but there's very few things. I don't know if the guy that threw a puppy off a cliff was an infantryman. He might have been. But anyway, 0311 versus 11 Bravo. Uh, 11 Bravos. The few that I've met are seem like they're pretty good to go. Um, I worked with the 501st in JRTC in 2000. I don't remember 15. But very minimally though, because I was there to I was attached. There was also a British company, um, infantry company there, and I was attached to the British company as their JTAC. So I didn't really get to work a lot with the 11 Bravos, but I don't think you know I don't think um, I think they do their job. You know they're they're we give the army a lot of shit, and we always look at you know relaxing Jackson as their boot camp and stuff like that. We laugh about it because, but that's where all their like calm dudes and like dudes, I mean like data and stuff like that, admin. That's where they go to boot camp. Um, I think Fort Benning is where their your infantry guys for the army go to boot camp, and it's from what I've been told, it's a lot different than you know Fort Jackson. Um, but again, professional. I don't. I don't have any reason to hate on them or anything like that. And it's it'd be hard for me to say... I mean, obviously, I'm going to tell you the Marine Corps infantryman's better um, than your normal 11 Bravo. But I, I will say for sure, okay, for sure, I, I believe the Marine Corps infantryman is better than the 11 Bravo. However, I don't believe that the your average Marine Corps infantryman is better than any... Like a Ranger. Like, people always like, oh, Ranger, he's a Ranger, must... So must be nice to know what it's like to go through boot camp. And it's like, okay, dude. Like if a dude has a scroll on his shoulder, like he did, he's done way more than <laughs> the crucible. You know what I'm saying? Like these dude, those dudes are legit. So I would definitely say army Rangers, um, probably definitely better than 0311. So if my kid, and this is how I, I was telling somebody, I can't remember who I was telling this about or telling this to, but if my kid decided like, Hey, I want to join the military. I'd be like, what do you want to do? Okay, what do you want to do? Do I want to, do you want to do something where you can have good job prospects when you get out? Or do you want to do like something where you have cool stories? You know, because that's kind of how it is. You can have good job prospects as an infantryman or a ranger or, you know, Marine, whatever, art, artilleryman like I am, you know, not artilleryman, but a Ford Observer. Uh, it's just a little bit harder because you're not gaining you know, like these hard and soft skills that you would like working in an admin section. So, um, I would tell him if he wants to get involved in SOCOM to go into the army as a ranger and try to get a ranger contract into the army. And then from there he can stay in the rangers or he can go to SF or he can go to Delta or something like that. You know, one of those things, he has other options. I, to me, seeing what our recon guys do, which, badass and i'd love to, i want i'm gonna have i have one of my friends who says he's gonna be on the show but i'm gonna go out to vegas i'm gonna try to go out to vegas and actually interview him in person um awesome dudes and i just feel like they're underutilized and that's the shitty part is that they get all this awesome training and they're super capable guys recon is highly capable but nobody wants to use them you know nobody in the joint world recon doesn't even kind of come up on the radar really unless it's unless there's everyone else is kind of tasked just because they're not, they don't fall under SOCOM. And I don't know. It's just, I don't know. So if my kid was like, I want to join the Marines and, and go into recon or whatever, I'd be like, no dude, don't do that. Or, or if you're coming in under a recon contract, 
do your first enlistment and then try to go over to MARSOC just because that's where the real work is. Like no one wants to go and practice for football every day and then not actually get to play in the game. And your odds of playing in the game are a lot higher if you're going to be in like MARSOC or something like that. So if it's something like that, I would tell them if you definitely want to get work, go into the army because the army has a bigger sphere of influence around the world like their commands are a lot bigger and stuff like that and they have a lot more people so they're utilized in a lot more ways so um good question but overall i think marine corps if you're looking infantry infantry i think our marine corps infantrymen are better um and that's just because i'm biased i i i'd love to see two guys you know go at it like have like a competition like a a grappling match to have like a blindfolded like weapon tear down match you know a couple different skills or do like a super squad competition with a invited army unit that'd be cool um something like that but anyway <clears throat> so ever always all one word ever always says explain why marines are so prideful that they will hold themselves back personally okay so i had to think about this question for a second when i when i read it and I'm, I'm taking it like this. So explain why Marines are so prideful that they will hold themselves back personally. One, one way to take it is there are guys that don't want to get out of the military because they don't think that they're unsure of themselves or I don't know, they have a pride thing. Like they don't want to get out and feel like they're kind of left behind a little bit. Cause you get in the military, you come into the Marine Corps you do four years, you do eight years, especially if you do more than four years. If you do eight years or 12 years like I did, you get super comfortable. You're like, this is my job. I don't even worry about when I'm getting paid because I know it's coming. Like, I know exactly when I'm getting paid. Like, I know exactly what I'm going to get. Um, I know it's going to come no matter what. Even, you know, we always hear about the shutdown and, oh, they're going to not pay the troops. Like, okay, that's happened like once, I think. And it's, the odds of that happening are super slim. So, your job security is a lot better and you get to a point where some guys kind of hate their job, maybe not necessarily hate their job, but they just hate the environment, but they don't want to get out and have to start over. And I would tell you as someone that got out after 12 years and kind of started over, um, it's not that bad, you know? I mean, yeah, you got to work and stuff. (laughs) Duh. But overall, overall, it's a good time. I'm having a good time. And the way I looked at it before I got out, when people were like, dude, you're going to get out after 12 years? Like, you're going to give up all this? And I'm like, dude, first off, one, one, I just went on a mew where my only job, basically, because they had no way to utilize me for anything, was to put me on watch twice a week two 12 hour shifts twice a week. That's all I did. So it's hard for me to justify telling my kid goodbye for seven months when I'm doing that to go, okay, I'm going to go stand watch twice a week and then, you know, work out twice a day. Cause I have nothing else to do because I'm on a ship. Um, so I looked at that and I'm like, this is fucked up. Like, you know, five deployments in and this is the kind of shit I'm doing right now. Like, and I know, you know, it's gonna, it's messing with your family's, not just my kid, but like everybody's psychology, you know, their mental state every time I leave. Cause it's, 
they don't understand. Even if I'm just like, hey, mom, I'm going on a mew. Like, mom doesn't know that a mew is like basically me floating around on water doing almost nothing. Like, anybody that's outside of the military doesn't fully understand the boredom and the <laughs> lack of cool stuff to do that is the majority of our lives. So, anyway, I looked at it like I can't justify telling my kid goodbye again for seven months to do some bullshit like this. And when people are like, I can't believe you're getting out, man. Like, um, you're at 12 years. And I'm like, dude, what's the benefit anymore of staying in? Go to 20 years. Yeah. You get a retirement. How much is the retirement? The the retirement's not bad. It's half of your, what is it? Half of your highest base pay that you reached or something like that. You had to keep that. uh, There's some way to do it, but it's basically half of your, your base pay. But if you look at your base pay, your base pay isn't like crazy high, you know, maybe you only get out as a gunny, maybe you get out as a master sergeant, maybe you get out as a first sergeant, you know, obviously each one higher is going to, you're going to get more out of it and it's going to be more valuable. But to me, I was like, I could do that and get out and make whatever, 1500, $2,000 a month or whatever, whatever the retirement would be. Or I could get out now, or I mean, stay in and make that, you know, as I, when I retire, or I could get out now and find a new job and start over and just make real money in the civilian world. Like, yeah, it's going to struggle at first, but it's exponential. Like the growth is exponential. The Marine Corps, you're waiting to get promoted in the real world. You're also waiting to get promoted, but it's more so on even more so on your own skills and your people skills and your abilities and your job and stuff like that. Whereas the Marine Corps is like, Oh look, you're a fast runner. We're going to get promoted. And this guy can't run. He's not going to get promoted. Well, okay. You know, maybe, maybe there's more to it than just being able to run fast and having PME done. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm rambling on because I think it's, I, I think, I think it's ridiculous, but I, what I'm getting at is, the way what I looked at before I got out, I was like, you know what? There's definitely stupider people than me that are surviving in the real world. Um, so if I get out, like, I know I'm gonna make it because I'm not an idiot, you know. Or if I am, I'm I know I'm not as dumb as that guy, and he's somehow making it, you know. So that's kind of the mentality I went through, and you have to just kind of you kind of have to check your ego um, when you walk out and you get into a different a different world because yeah. So everyone tells you like, hey, you're going to get out. You're going to go work for this company and make six figures. It's easy and blah, 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 blah. Maybe, maybe, probably more so if you're like a logistics dude or something like that. But the odds are it's that's not going to happen because the people in the real world don't know what we do. When I tell someone I'm a fire support man, they think I'm a fireman. You know, they thought, oh, you fight fires. Oh, that's cool. And I'm like, no, that's not, that's not it at all. Um... It's easier for some of the non-combat arms to to explain their jobs and stuff like that. But for, for combat arms guys, it, it can be a little harder. But you just have to be able to say, you know, you have to explain it in real terms. Like, yeah, okay, I was in combat and I did this and I did that and I, I made these decisions and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so it works well under stress. You know, that's kind of that's kind of deal. Can make deadlines can or can meet deadlines, stuff like that. So... I think here, so explain why Marines are so prideful that they will hold themselves back personally. I think it, I think that's one way to answer that question, that people don't want to get out and start over. They don't want to feel like they're like, man, I invested 12 years of my life into this. 
But when you look at it, like when people are like, hey, man, like 12 years, you, only eight more years. I'm like, dude, only eight more years. Like, think about that. That's eight fucking years. Like, that's a long time. That's not a short amount of time. You know, that's like 10% of people's lives, maybe more, depending on how healthy you are. Um, so, and that's how you got to kind of look at it. Like, do you want to just not be happy? You like not, I, 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 the happiest I ever was was with my guys on the OP. That was it. That was the happiest I ever was in the Marine Corps. That was, that's what I was supposed to be doing. That was my, you know, that was my job. And when it stopped being that, when it started being more office shit, and when I got sent to the Mew as a fires chief, which was like non-JTAC work, like I had to like try to justify to a OPSO that did not utilize his enlisted Marines at all, why I needed to go ashore to get controls to maintain currency so that I could maintain my JTAC evaluator qualification. Like he, he couldn't fathom like why I needed to do that. It just... It's just like you get kind of tired of dealing with people like that, you know? You're like, dude, you just like you're making some fucked up decisions like and you don't it's like you don't even understand the job that the people that are working for you are doing and what's the required of them. So, anyway, man, I'm just like venting a little bit from this question. The other thing I would say also explain why Marines are so prideful that they hold themselves back personally is that we don't ask questions. Um like, you don't want to be the person that doesn't know. Nobody wants to be the person that doesn't know. And, yeah, okay, I get that. I, I'm that way, too. You know, I don't want to be the guy that doesn't know. But perfect example is, I. so my first semester out of school, my major requires that I have to do a foreign language. Not just my first semester, but in my first semester. So I had to pick a foreign language. And I thought about it, and I was like, man, I could do Spanish. I mean, that's fucking easy. I'm in Southern California. I could basically literally walk anywhere within 20 feet almost and practice, you know, because I have a burrito shop right here. My my neighbor's a, a Mexican dude, totally cool guy, you know, like easy. But, of course, I take the fucking hard route, and I, I decided to go with Italian. Not as bad, those of you that listened to the last episode, not as bad as Nate deciding to learn mandarin chinese which is blows my mind but i went with italian and you know the major requires uh three semesters of italian or three semesters of a foreign language so i got out and here in right outside of camp pendleton in oceanside is miracosta community college or it's just miracosta college but it's a community college and they have a program there because a lot of the um Cal State, the Cal State just changed their their requirements where a foreign for the majors that required a foreign language that they're only down to two semesters. So what Miracosta did was they put, hey, hey, we'll do two semesters in one. We're gonna double up the coursework and you're just gonna knock out both semesters in one. Well, they didn't tell any of us that. We all showed up to our first day of class and the professor told us, and we're all like, Oh man, like fuck. It's like two, three hour classes a week along with an assignment online six days a week. And then, obviously, the test and all that stuff. Um, so that was supposed to make up for the having the second semester. And it sucked. It was like, fuck, man, it's a lot of work, you know. Um, and then I get to San Diego State University. I got accepted to San Diego State University. And 
my major requires that third semester. So I'm like, man, like that was cool that they did it like that. But how much is this going to fuck me when I get to an actual university and I'm sitting here trying to do Italian, you know, this level of Italian. And I just remember coming into the classroom and sitting down and we're sitting there and teacher comes in and just immediately just starts speaking Italian, pure Italian. And I'm like, fuck, I've only basically, in reality, I've had one semester and then, and then I had the entire summer off and then now I'm back at it. And she just comes in speaking pure Italian, no English. And I just remember like, oh my God, I've, I'm screwed. And she asked, and she asked, we had to go around the room introducing ourselves, you know, Mikamo, Justin, stuff like that. And we had to like kind of explain a couple other things. And like the third guy she got to, he's like, I have no idea. He's like, I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what you're asking me. And I was like, thank God I'm not the only moron in this class. So it comes around to me and I kind of stumble through it. And some of these people are speaking great Italian. There's a girl in the class that was born in Italy and lived there for a while there was a girl that was that lived there for two years. There's a dude that lived there for two years. And they speak great Italian. And I'm like, fuck, I'm in the wrong class. And we would we started the lessons. And it was just like, fuck, man, I'm so lost here. Like, we're talking about conjugating things and doing this different things. And I'm just, no idea. And the professor could tell. She's like, Justin, are you are you getting this? And that's is that not the worst thing ever to just be called out in class? And she's Italian. She is from a, from Italy, so she that's how she said it. She's like, Justin, are you getting this? Kind of like that. I'm like, man, I feel like an idiot right now. And I'm like, no, I mean, I don't understand this, you know. And I and I told her, I was like, I don't understand this, and I don't understand this, this, and this. And then someone else was like, yeah, I don't, I don't either. Like, I agree with that. And then I'm like, thank God again. And anyway, so what it, what it came to is whenever she had a lesson, she'd go around and make, Hey, is everyone getting this? And no one would say anything. And then she would look at me last. And almost every time she'd be like, Justin, are you getting this? And I would say, yeah, I'm getting it or no, I'm not. And I'd explain why. And what happened was is she realized that almost nobody in the class was getting it. Like four or five of the, you know, 15 or 20 people we have in our class were, were actually understanding the lesson, but nobody was saying anything. So what, what I'm getting at is don't be prideful. Like if you don't understand something and this is, this is, yeah, it's a foreign language and that's easy to, to justify that. And maybe not in an industrial job or some, somewhere that where you feel like you should be more um, experienced within that field. Like let's say you come out of the Marine Corps being a finance Marine and you want to go get into finance in the real world. Well, finance in the real world, I assume is going to be a little bit different than being a finance in the Marine Corps and even just terms and stuff like that. I think, I believe some of it's going to be different. So, you know, stow the pride a little bit, ask the questions and become good at what you're doing. Because if you don't ask the question and then you just kind of stumble through it, you either look like an asshole that doesn't know what he's doing or you look like someone that has too much pride to ask for help. And that's just, you know, that's just not the way to do it. So, um, good question. Thanks again, ever always. I th- that's kind of my view on it. Um, just don't, you, you know, don't screw yourself with your own pride. Um, I got two more questions here. And one is from Hubbard1080p. He says, what's one story that epitomizes your career and that's tough man that is a tough question he sent it to me earlier and i was like 
I messaged him back. I'm like, dude, that's a good question. I've, I'm going to have to think about it. And I honestly don't know because I just had such a, I feel like I had a, a, a weird path, you know, cause I came in open contract, did motor T for three years, but even at motor T, you know, I went to maintenance battalion, which for people that have been to maintenance battalion, that's like where you, you don't do anything but turn wrenches all day. It's a, it's a like seven to five job pulling, pulling motors out of Humvees, pulling trannies out, you know, replacing stuff on LVSs and seven tons and stuff like that, or LVSRs now. And you're just working all day. It's like factory work almost. And it sucks. I mean, it, it, the people, again, the job sucked. The people were cool for the most part. You know, you always have your good friends and stuff like that. Um, but I got an opportunity to go work on the ITV, the internally, inter, internally transportable vehicle and the 120 millimeter mortar program when it was still in its, um, they were going through all the, um, validation and testing it and stuff like that. So, you know, I got pulled to go do something like that, which is not the normal path. I got to go to Alaska, you know, I was a motor team mechanic shooting 120 millimeter mortars. They were letting me shoot it. They were like, Hey, here's, here's. 50 cal ammo. I'm up on top of this thing shooting shooting a 50 cal. These guys are all dudes that are getting ready to get out. They got fapped over to it. I'm a boot. And they're just like, oh, you've never shot one? I'm like, dude, I'm with maintenance battalion. <laughs> they're like, oh, here, fucking, I don't even care. Like, dudes don't even want to shoot because they've shot it, you know, so many times. And um, so I, I got to do some, some pretty cool stuff. So it's hard to say, like, it's hard to say one job um, or one story that I have that, like, kind of sums up my career. <clears throat> but what I do want to talk about, if anybody has questions, you know, about stuff I did or, you know, where I've been, what units, what I did in different units, um, people I worked with, uh, maybe not people I worked with. Let's not do that. That could end up not being good. Feel free to hit me up, you know, feel free to hit me up on all the stuff I threw out earlier, the Instagram, the Twitter, you know, on the website, you can hit me up on the email, um, ask the questions. I'll, I'll, I'll bring them up on here and try to answer them as best I can. But, um, the story I want to tell tonight. Okay. <clears throat> this is about, this is about a guy I knew. Okay. So I got to 10th Marines. I got to 10th Marines in 2009. I got back from Iraq with, um, what is it? Second, second supply battalion. I think we we're second supply battalion. I was attached to supply battalion as a mechanic. Got back from Iraq in like August of 09, I believe. And then had orders to go to 210 in November of 2009. Got to got to 210 in November. Um, met Juan Delara, Sergeant Delara, um, Gunny Klein. He was a staff sergeant at the time. I can't remember the other chief's name. I kind of feel like a scumbag. He de- he would never speak to me. Like I felt like the dude hated me until <laughs> uh, he, I saw him. Like two years, he left the unit uh, like a month or two after I got there. He had orders. Um, and I saw he had orders somewhere else, and I saw him. We were in, both in Kyrgyzstan at the same time for deployment, and I think I kind of once I, you know, I was a boot. I was a sergeant that was a, didn't know anything about the job, so I was a boot, and so he treated me as such. And um, that was probably one of the coolest things is when I got to Kyrgyzstan and I saw him again, and I could tell that the relationship had changed. He realized I knew what I was doing, and I'm obviously doing all right. And we sat there and had like a really long conversation. And I'm like, dude, this guy's said about eight words total to me in the two months that I worked with him. So anyway, um, so I get to 210 and people, people are trying to show me how to do stuff. Like I said, Juan Delara, he 
taught me how to plot on a map. I didn't even know how to find find a location or do anything, man, because I was Motor T. I was a junior Marine Motor T uh, mechanic that, you know, didn't go on convoys. I wasn't with a unit where I was driving around. I was with maintenance battalion. I turned wrenches all day. I worked in the factory. So I had very little actual combat, you know, kind of skills. I just got promoted to sergeant right before I got there. So it, was a, it wasn't like I was a... A dude that had been walking around. I've been to Sergeant's course or anything like that. And I hadn't done anything. I've never done PME. I didn't do PME the entire time I was in the Marine Corps. I didn't do um, zero, zero PME. So um, anyway, so I get I get put under at the time Staff Sergeant Klein. He was the battalion or regimental fires chief. He was the two ten chief, and him and Delara and dudes like Kalo, um, Rug, you know, guys like that. They were the ones that that we'd go to the field and they, they, they showed me how to do everything. You know, they taught me how to be a fire support man. Cause I did nine months at two ten before I even went to MOS school. So I did a brag. Yeah, I did a brag. I did pff, multiple field ops. Um, for those that don't know, brag is a month long field op that happens twice a year. We, uh, 10th Marine regiment. I, I don't know if they still do it. I know they stopped for a little bit, but, um, the whole regiment convoys over to Fort Bragg from Camp Lejeune. And then, they just shoot and piss off everybody that lives around uh, Fort Bragg for a month. Um, so anyway, um, so these guys are the ones that are showing me how to do all this stuff, you know. And um, that—that's the only I, I credit I credit my abilities at the time as being a fires chief to Gunnery Sergeant Klein after he'd gotten promoted, um, because just he I can't, I can't imagine a fire support man with a lot more knowledge than he had. And he, I thought he was a fair person. I thought he was, um, approachable. You know, I thought the way he ran the shop was, um, strict, but fair. And him and I got along real well. And he taught, you know, going to the field. This guy would, I remember, I remember seeing him fall asleep on (laughs) radio watch not radio watch. He'd, he'd fall asleep in the FSCC tent, the fire support coordination center, uh, fire support, uh, fire support coordination center tent, which is where like all the, um, approval of missions and stuff like that go at, when we were done shooting for the day and stuff like that, we were cold. For, the range was cold for the night. Um, and everybody's racking out. He would go in and sit with the radio watch and read the, uh, the three tech zero six, man, I'm probably messing up the pub numbers, the fires, the different pi- fire support coordination pubs that we had, and fall asleep at his little field desk, you know, reading pubs. And I'm just like, dude, this guy, like, he has the answers. Everybody respected him. The battalion commander respected him. The battalion XO respected him. Other officers respected him. And I'm like, that's the way it should be. You should be a an enlisted guy that gains respect from the people because you know your fucking job. And, you know, I tried to carry that on to you know, everything I did in the future, there was a few guys that had a, an impact on me at 210. And I, that gunnery Sergeant Klein was one of them. Like I said, Delara, Juan Delara, Sergeant Delara. He was the, um, fires chief for three, two. It was three, two at the same time, uh, in 2010, 2011 timeframe. And then, um, like Jason Kalo, you know, I remember Kalo, um, he got killed, in Marja, um, during the push into Marja, he was with one six, but I remember one time we were at, um, and this isn't even the story I was going to get into, but eh, whatever. Um, 
one time we were at OP5. I think we were at OP5. I can't remember. And this is one of my first field ops, you know, as a fire support man. And I'm like, all right, man, we're out here in the field. We're And we, I was working because I was training up. I was a sergeant, so I was more senior. So not only was I doing OP time, but I was also working in the fire support coordination center tent, learning, you know, what goes on there with the radios and stuff like that, what goes on with the approval processes and stuff. And uh, I remember Kalo wasn't even supposed to be in the field. And I want to say him and Rug came out. And I'm sitting in the tent for reason freezing like i got there in november of 2010 or 2009 like i said so this was probably i think it was in december and it is cold at night in camp lejeune north carolina in december um freezing and i remember him walking in and this dude's like what's up man and i'm like hey what's up dude and i'm like dude where's your fucking you're like you're not wearing a skivvy shirt this dude never wore a skivvy shirt ever and uh i remember he uh I was like, dude, aren't you fucking cold? And he's like, bro, I'm a sergeant of Marines. I don't get cold. And I was like, it sounds cheesy as fuck, but that was one thing that kind of stuck with me for a long time, and I don't know why. And I'm like, okay, okay, I get that. And it just became like, I don't know, I use that as my motivation to um, just embrace the suck. You know what I'm saying? Like... It's fucking cold out. Yeah, it sucks. I'm not putting a shirt on until like it. I need to. I'm not putting a sweatshirt on until I I need to because, and, and you know you learn that in, in mountain warfare training and stuff too that you know you want to stay comfortably cool and stuff like that. But just that, just his, what what really stuck with me was that just that thought process. Like you know I'm I'm a sergeant of Marines. I don't get fucking cold. You know, and that was like. Not and you know he got cold. Everybody gets fucking cold. But he was saying, you know, like I'm I'm fine. I look I'm gonna always look ready to go. I'm always prepared. You know, if someone looks at me and they're like, I don't know. It's just it just a, it's a mindset to be always ready and um, to just I don't know be comfortable in your own environment. And I don't know. But that that was one of those things that just kind of stuck with me. But. What what I'm getting to, and like I said, I didn't I didn't really necessarily mean to get into that story and stuff like that. But um, what I'm getting at now is that I got assigned a team. They're like, "Hey, Kramer, you're doing a great job. Hey, you know, we we want you to go with Third Battalion, Six Marines on their deployment to Marja um, in 2011." They're like, "Hey, you're going to be the fire support chief for the battalion." And I was fucking I, I was bummed. Honestly, to be a hundred percent, I was, cause I had lat moved over and I wanted to be a forward observer, you know, on patrols, out doing missions and stuff like that. And I knew if I was a fires chief, I could probably squirrel some missions. You know, I could probably get in and go out a couple times during the deployment, but that wasn't going to be my main job. My main job was going to be sitting in the fire support court or the uh, command operation center, the COC and just waiting on something to happen, approving fire missions as they come through, planning fire missions and stuff, which is an important job. But I wanted, I felt like, um, because I originally wanted to come in as infantry and I missed, you know, that the first four years or first three years as being a mechanic, I missed those junior Marine parts where you actually learn your job. You're out in the OP or you're digging the hole and you're living in it and like stuff like that. And I, that's what I wanted to do because that's what I wanted to do when I came in. 
And, you know, as a sergeant and as you get higher, you start pulling away from that more and more. And um, so I was kind of bummed. So they sent me, they were like, hey, you're going to be this. And I'm like, man, because most guys, they, they wouldn't send them. If you were a lap mover, your first your first deployment was going to be as a as a scout, as a forward observer. Um, and you would go down to a line company and stuff like that. But I think um, I, I did all right. You know, I picked up the job pretty quickly, I feel. And I think we probably didn't have another person at that time just because of the deployment cycle was kind of kind of quick at that point. Um, so they chose me to be the fire's chief and I, I put together or we put together my team. And, um, yeah. So anyway, so I got this team together. I got, you know, my fist or fire support team and it's similar to the firepower control team, but it's just bigger. It's like more like the salt, the supporting arms liaison team. Um, I've got a Ford observer, um, officer an 0802 artillery officer, and then a fire uh, support man and then a radio operator. And they will go to each company in, in, uh, third battalion, six Marines. And then I have the Marines and my officer where we would run the headquarters section and we would be the guys that are working in the command operations center. Um, at some point in there, we got a guy, I got word. They're like, Hey, you got a new guy and he's up at the, at the CP and you know, come get him. So I was like, Hey, corporal so-and-so go fucking get the new guy. You know, I'm doing other shit. Um, so he goes up there to go get him and start getting his paperwork in line and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, I need to go up to the CP to do the command post to do something. I don't remember what it was, but I go up there and I see the new guy and they're like, Hey, this is private Lamel. And I'm like, private Lamel, what's up, man? Like, how's it going? And, um, and he was, you know, super respectful, stand at parade rest, ten, you know, and like, good afternoon, Sergeant, blah, 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 like, you know, whatever. And I'm like, private man, what happened? And he's like, uh, you're not supposed to be a private coming out of the schoolhouse. And he's like, I got in some trouble, Sergeant. And I'm like, all right, cool, man. You know, I don't, I didn't care, whatever. I, I left and one of the guys was like, hey, you got to look out for him. He's a fighter. And I'm like, is that what he got in trouble for? And someone said that he had gotten in trouble for, and I'm not going to get into what he got, you know, his his stuff but it wasn't for that it was it was some personal stuff and it's i kind of saw his side of it but you know good idea bad planning kind of deal but he got njp'd in in the schoolhouse and i feel like if you asked any of my guys um i'm a pretty fair person and i think when i get a new guy even if they come in private lamel comes into my my shop you know, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that he knows, you know, he's a, he's a good person. I, you know, everyone makes mistakes. You get in JP'd non-judicial punishment for those that don't know what I'm talking about. It means those are your minor mistakes. You're not going to, you can't go to jail, but you can be confined to the barracks. So like living in a hotel room basically. Um, but he paid for his mistake wherever, you know, at the schoolhouse. And then he got to us. So that was over. To me, that was over. And, you know, people tell me, like, oh, look out for him and stuff like that. Like, hey, thanks. Cool. But I always told guys, like, all I expect you to do is be on time, be where you're supposed to be, and be a fucking adult. You know, it's just like be on time and be there when you're supposed to be there and be an adult. If I tell you to do something, do it. And know that I'm looking out for you. You know, like, I may be telling you some to do some stuff and you don't understand the full reason, but I'm always looking out for the dudes and I'm always looking for a reason to send guys home and stuff like that. So he can have time off and everything like that. So anyway, 
Lamel comes in, same deal. Hey man, I give him the spiel. Hey, just be a good dude. Be on time. You know, be where you're supposed to be, and we'll have no problems. And um, he got assigned to my headquarters section. He was going to be my FATEDS operator. Um, we had talked about it in this episode that got messed up, but it's the Advanced Field Artillery Targeting Data System or something like that. I think that I think that's correct. Uh, if it's not, Mister Mac, hit me up and let me know. Um, but so that's the that's the computer system that you use to approve fire missions and stuff that sends the uh, the data down to the gun line and stuff like that, or it sends it down to the battery, the uh, firing unit, and then they process it and send it to the gun line. So anyway, so he was going to be my FATEDS operator on the deployment, and um, yeah, so we we do our workup. They they go to Twenty Nine Palms and deploy, or excuse me, they go to Twenty Nine Palms to do EMV. The enhanced Mojave Viper, which is the pre-deployment training, it's like a almost a month long or right at a month long um, that all the all the battalions do before they head out. While they were doing that, though, um, because because I was a lap mover and I was still, I think at this point I'd only been in the MOS for about a year. Um, my battalion commander wanted me to go to MAGTAF Fires uh, support or MAGTAF Fires Chiefs Course, and MAGTAF is Marine Air Ground Task Force, and. So that's like the, you know, next, next level school within my job. So I went to that school, you know, learned the chief stuff, which was cool because Gunny Klein, my chief left our unit. We we were in 29 Palms in November. Yeah. So it was November of 2010. And then he left right after that, or I think maybe December and, or January. And then he went out to Fort Sill to become the fire support chief course instructor. So a couple months later, here I am, I finish up bragging and then I go out to chief's course and, and my chief is now my instructor for chief course. So it was, it was cool. Um, he didn't, you know, he didn't give me any slack, obviously probably gave me a harder time, but that's cool. And he's, like I said, he's a super smart guy. And I think anybody that that knows him probably would say the same thing that knows him as a fire support man that he, he, you gotta know, he's one of those guys you gotta know what you're talking about. Cause He'll tell you you're wrong. It doesn't matter what your rank is. He'll be like, no, that's incorrect, and this is why, and this is what you should do. And I think he has full authority to do that. So anyway, so I go to Chiefs course. My guys are at uh, EMV. They come back. I come back, and then I get attached to the unit. Hey, we're going to 3rd Battalion, 6th Marines. I come over. Um, I get there like the day before pre-deployment leave. No one knows who I am because they were all at EMV together. The guy that – there was a, I, uh, one of my friends was standing in for me, one of the staff sergeants, just as they uh, – uh, fires chief while I was, um, at chief's course. And, um, so I come back and I show up and they're all like, who's this guy? And I'm like, oh, I'm the fire chief, blah, blah, blah. These are my dudes. Well, anyway, we go to Afghanistan and we get there. Um, we're there for a little bit. And then our weapons company, they have their own AO. So they have their own area of operations. Normally your weapons company gets broken up to support your line company. So, um, they, they take, cause that's where your machine gunners and your mortar men and stuff like that you take teams from that and they go and reinforce your, your infantry. You're like your O three, your, I don't know how a better way to explain it than your line company. So your weapons company doesn't normally have their own AO. Well, in this case they did. We had a large AO because this is Marja 2011 and we were kind of retrograde, eh, kind of retrograding a little bit. Um, and third battalion, six Marines also had Charlie one, six attached to them and alpha one, nine, um, and weapons had their own AO. So that means we had six battalion or six company areas of operations that our battalion headquarters 
was in spot, was responsible for running, like making sure that the companies were doing what they were supposed to be doing. And then, the, you know, obviously the company headquarters, making sure their platoons are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And there was a gap in fire support at, um, weapons company. AO. they were in, um, God, what is the name of that area? Sistani. They were in Sistani. Um, and just West of Marja. And I was like, Hey, look, Lamel's work in here, but I mean, I don't really need him. Like I can, I can do the missions. I can do this. You know, this isn't a big deal. Um, so I got approval to send him down to the weapons company and he was super pumped because he was pissed. Also, he got, he got there and he did all this work and now they're like, Hey, you're going to be the box bitch. You know, you're going to go work on the affaites and he, you know, any good 0861, it's not going to be happy about that. So he wasn't very happy about it. And when I told him like, Hey man, you're getting in the game. You're going down to weapons. You're going to be, there's no officer. There's no radio operator from, you know, it's just you. You're going there and you'll link up with the JTAC over there. And that's kind of your dude to go through, but you're kind of on your own. Just go be a good FO. And Lamel, you know, this dude shined, you know, this guy that people are like, look out, you know, and this is, this is my whole point is that, um, don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge by somebody from their past experience and stuff like that. Because Lamel had one of, I mean, one of the most amazing things. So <clears throat> one of the days that we were out there, I was sitting there in front of my computer. And what for, for, for people that don't know what I did working in the command center at that time is I had like three or four laptops sitting in front of me all on different kind of secret networks and stuff like that they just did different stuff and then in and next to me on the wall we had like four big screen tvs you know one had like a blimp view on it one had aircraft if we had aircraft on station and we could get their feed we'd put it on that we'd have um um uav feed so your unmanned aerial vehicles like your reapers or predators um your drone um, we'd have those feeds. We'd have cameras up from the different bases. You could see, like, the they'll put a camera on a tower and look around the area so we could see all that stuff. That way we could, if something was to happen, we can react quickly. Like, maybe a company comes under attack. We don't necessarily need them to call and radio us to let us know if we're paying attention because we can see it happening. So, yeah, they're going to tell us. And they're going to give us some good specifics that we do require. But at the same time, we can already start prepping stuff by just watching. And, um, uh, one day we're just sitting there and I'm, you know, waiting for something to happen because that's what happens in war. It's mostly boring. And I just get like, Oh, so-and-so is in contact. You know, they said whatever the number was. And that was the identification for the, uh, the patrol that was out. And we, you know, once, so once someone takes contact, what I would do as a fire support man is I would open up my Google earth, um, program. And then I would, take their location i would we would get their location i would plug it into the computer pop it up you know populate it on the map and then do a direction there's a direction and distance tool on the google earth and um i would use that and whatever direction and distance they sent back to where they were taking contact from and i would measure it out and then i would get the grid for that and then i would give it to the s2 guy he would direct any any kind of um like reaper or predators or whatever that we had in that area over to to check it out I'll be honest, almost all the time it was wrong. And I'm like, dude, these fucking grunts don't know how to use the fucking, you know, they don't know how to give a good direction and distance. And I take it for granted that as a forward observer, 
I mean, every forward observer, and when you're in the field or whatever, you always have a compass on you. You know, it's like, that's, that's like your most basic tool. So if you can't give a direction and distance, you're kind of worthless. So anyway, I wasn't expecting anything accurate, you know, cause it's never is. So they give me the direction and distance. I plug everything in. I pull out a grid. I give it to the S2 guy. And we just happen to have a Reaper on station, which is a Reaper is one of the larger, um, UAVs, one of the drones that we have. And it carries, I want to say, I want to say they carry like two bombs and a hellfire missile or something like that. There's a, there's different loadouts, but I think I want to say that was like our standard. Um, but anyway, so we get, we get the call. Hey, they're taking contact. Here's direction distance. I plot it. I get the grid, give the S2 guy. He sends it up to the, to the Reaper, the drone operator. And they, they, um, you know, shoot their camera over into that direction. And it's like spot on, like zoom in. You got three dudes attacking this patrol, right? And these three guys, um, we saw them at the very end of their like ambush that they were doing. And what they did, this patrol was moving along and the enemy opened up with, um, saws, you know, the squad automatic weapon and RPGs. And the, we found out later that the saws had come from, at some point earlier in the war, um, where they had attacked a British convoy and one of the vehicles that they got was an armory truck. So they had one of, you know, basically an American made saw that the Brits would use and, um, or something like that. But they had, that's what they were attacking with, with saws and RPGs. Um, and like I said, the, the direction and distance was perfect. So the grid was like almost perfect. So we, we get it and we see these three dudes and we get them as they're trying to break contact. So these three guys jump on two motorbikes. So now we got to make a decision. We got to, and they're not going the same direction because they never do. They always split up, you know, that way it gives them, gives them better odds. So obviously we followed the vehicle that had the two guys on it. So we're, we're chasing it with the, with the Reaper. We're watching it with the camera. We wait for them to get into an open spot and then we do a strike and uh, take out those two targets and then we come around, we try to find the the third guy, try to see if we can come back and scan and find him, but he's already gone. He's probably in some village, like gone into a building or something like that. So we didn't even worry about him, but I'm sitting there and I'm like, dude, fuck yeah, we just got these two guys. And the S2 guy was like, um, bro, he's like, that shit was accurate as fuck. And I was like, yeah, man. I was like, you know what? I was like, I bet that was Lamel. I was like, I bet he's got a vector dagger out there with him. And cause that's what we use. And the vector is the, uh, laser range finder and the dagger. I don't remember it's D A G R, but I don't remember what the acronym actually is, but it's basically a ruggedized GPS, a military GPS. And you can plug that into the laser range finder and it'll give you a grid. It'll give you a location, uh, up to, you know, uh, pretty accurate. It'll give you a pretty accurate grid. So I'm like, dude, Lamel just uses vector dagger. Like that's sick. And, but I don't even know that it's him. Um, I'm just kind of guessing because it was like no one else has been this accurate. It's got to be one of the Ford observers. So a couple days later, um, let me make sure that's all I wanted to cover on that. Yeah, so a couple days later, um, I'm at Camp Hansen, which is in Marja, north of, just north of the city center in Marja. And I think we we're at Hansen at that time. We might not have been. We might have still been at Fob Marja. Uh, either way, either way, Lamel comes walking up. His his he had come in with a uh, resupply convoy that was coming, and they had I think it was probably some meeting or something like that. But anyway, he came by and he came to check in with me, and I was like, "What's up, man? Like, hey, dude, was that you out there the other day?" And he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Yeah, it was." He's like, "Fuck, man." He's like, "We were just walking, and then 
bah, like, you know, start taking contact. He's like, everyone just jumps down. We're behind this uh, dirt berm and they're just firing. And I'm like, yeah, I was like, do you, I was like, did you use your vector dagger? And he's like, no, Sergeant. He's like, I didn't bring it with me. Like, I, th- I think he said, he's like, I forgot to bring it. And, you know, he probably didn't forget. He probably was just saying that, but I don't, I doubt he forgot it. I think he probably just didn't want to carry it cause it's heavy. And, um, I was like, you didn't use your fucking vector dagger. He's like, no, I just, he's like, we were getting shot at. He's like, so I just pulled my compass out and I took a knee and popped up from behind the dirt berm and I shot a direction and I, and I guessed the distance. He's like, I did a range estimation and I sent it in and I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. I was like, that was accurate as fuck. I was like, we got those two guys, you know, that was awesome. And I told my captain, I'm like, Lamel should get an award for that. I was like a hundred percent. Like what he did, like he came out while under fire and shot a direction and distance with a compass. Like he should have gotten an award for that because we took out two guys also. And I told my captain, I was like, Hey sir, like I really think we should write Lamel up for an award. And uh, he's like, Hey, that's, he, you know, he's not with headquarters anymore. We can't do it. He falls under the company and, um, weapons company. So you need to just let them know. And I think I shot him an email I, or I shot him an email and was like, Hey, you know, I think Lamel needs to get an award for that. Cause you know, it was a pretty amazing thing. And, um, and what was cool. So the whole thing was, and what I tried to do. And again, guys that worked with me as forward observers can tell you, like we'd be out on the OP and this is a, like a really good drill for guys that are on observation post. Um, you know, you get kind of bored. You're out there, especially if you're out there for a couple of days, you know, people, you're not firing the entire time usually. Um, so you have some downtime. And what I would like to do is, you, you know, you go out to the OP or whatever and during downtime, everyone's just kind of bullshitting. You know, everyone's telling stories and everyone's, you know, that's where you get these crazy stories that we can't even talk about probably on the podcast. Because <laughs> people, imagine being in a hole with the same, you know, five dudes for a month. You know, you're going to learn a lot about each other, especially some weird shit. So that's kind of what happens. Well, I took advantage of that. I'm like, well, we can still sit here and bullshit and guess how far away stuff is. And that's what I would do with my guys. I'd be like, hey, how far is that? Just be a guessing game. Hey, everyone, we get everyone there. I make everyone sit up there. And everyone can bullshit and do whatever they want, but I, how far away is that? And everyone would look, including myself, and I'd take a guess, and then I would shoot it with the vector and, and then, you know, see who's closest. And we would just do that all the time because you can sit there and bullshit. It's relaxed. It's a game. Guys give each other shit because they're, like, way off or way close. And, you know, you go to different OPs and you run that drill in different different places. You start getting used to those areas like deserts, you know, that have – it really messes up your ability to, to, um, gauge a range and stuff like that. So we would do that all the time. And I'm, you know, I hope that helped out and stuff like that. But, um, I, I think that that's part of how, you know, how he got it so accurate. It's just, it was great. And like I said, I think he should have gotten an award for it. We get to the end of the deployment. He's back with weapons company. Um, he got blown up by an IED later on. Um, not, maybe a concussion, but no, he didn't have to get medevac or anything like that. His vehicle got hit down in the Sistani Gap. Um, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And um, he uh, anyway, we come back from the deployment, and they're like, "Hey, we're doing award ceremony." Blah 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 blah. And I'm like, "Dude, what are the guys?" Because I don't even know what my guys are getting at this point. Like, I gave my recommendations to my OIC and stuff like that, but you know, I'm not part of the awards board that kind of settles on what everybody's getting and stuff. Um. Fucking Lamel didn't get anything. 
he didn't get a letter of appreciation. He didn't get a NAM. He didn't get a CIRCOM. He didn't get anything. What he did was exactly what this podcast is about. Um, he did something that was not required of him necessarily. It kind of was, that's kind of his job, but he, you know, under extreme circumstances, you know, that was a heroic act that he did and it ended in two enemies being killed and he deserved an award for that, that he did not get. And to twist the knife or throw some salt in the wound, um, when we got back and we, we had, they do, for the awards, because after a battalion comes home from a deployment, there's a lot of awards. They only do battalion formation uh, for the awards. For They were only doing them for Navy comms and higher because um, they were letting individual sections take care of the Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal because it's a it's not a it's not a the it's like the low I think it's the lowest personal award ribbon that you can get, but it's still like you know it's still kind of a thing. So they but normally it would be a battalion formation, but there's so many guys after a deployment that have done stuff that um, they let the individual sections do that. So anyway, we're out here and we're standing in the formation um, for this award ceremony, and Lamel's squad leaders. Lamel squad leader uh, received his Navy com with a V and half, not half, but part of his citation was what Lamel did on the patrol. Um, that was one of two, I think two or three things that that squad leader was involved in. But the fact that they used Lamel's actions um, as if this guy did it. I mean, I was, I was super pissed. I was super butthurt about it. And I think he's probably one of the guys that I think was wrong the most on an award um, during my 12 years. And I've, I, it's so much so that I think I've told this story to multiple people. So this isn't, I mean, people that know me have probably heard this story just because like I, I said before, I think, I think people deserve to know that, you know, he was a, he's, a, or he is, he is a great dude. Um, or I would assume I haven't, I haven't talked to him in years. Um, he came out, he came back from the deployment and he ended up getting out and I think he deleted his social media and stuff like that. So if anybody knows him, tell him I said, what's up, you know, he was. And so to wrap up the story, he, he, everyone, everyone just like, Hey, look out for this guy. Look at, you know, this guy's going to be a problem. Like everyone just assumed that Lamel was going to be an issue. And I think we do that too much with people and, it only exasperates the whole situation, you know? And I think we have a problem with people treating each other like adults, treating each other like, um, like they've, you know, made it through boot camp, made it through an MOS school, made it to a unit, you know, like, like at some point you got to give somebody a little bit of respect and give them, let them be a grown up. And I think, um, I tried to foster an environment that did that. And LaBelle ended up being one of the best 0861s I ever worked with. Um, you know, I can't ask more, more from a guy than to go into a combat zone and do his job, do it, do it well. Um, and you know, put himself in danger. Like I said, you know, he, he Sistani was one of the worst places in, in, uh, Marja while we were there. So it was definitely a, you know, he got hit by an ID, got ambushed, like all the multiple things happened to him and just no recognition. And, it's just, it's just disgraceful. Honestly, it's, I think it's, and I think, I think if you talk to a lot of Marines, they'll tell you that the award system in the Marine Corps is fucked up. Too many people, too many people get stuff that 
it just seems like, hey, like you did your job. You know, not even like you did your job like so great heroically in combat. Like you just, this is you, okay. And here's an example. This is not to, this is not to toot my own horn or anything like that. And this is another situation that I thought was super fucked up. I got back from um, Sangin in 2013 and they had written me up for an, uh, a Navy com with a V and then it got bumped down to a, a NAM with a V and I'm like, cool, whatever. I don't care. You know, like whatever. And, um, they told me, they're like, Hey, we're, we're, we have awards formation. It's a Friday. Everyone's out there in Bravos and we're doing this awards formation for you and two other guys. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, what are the other two awards? They're like, they're both everybody. All three of you guys are getting NAMs. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm like, that's fine. And, um, I was a staff sergeant. I think it was like a, probably a corporal and a sergeant or a lance corporal and a corporal. It might've been. And we march out, you know, give the salute, greeting, all that stuff. They read my citation. It's talking about, you know, my time in Afghanistan and what I did and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, under fire, you know, controlled aircraft, blah, 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 you know, did all this stuff. And the next dude, and this is like, this is the, Headquarters battery. This is quite a few people for the regiment. So it's quite a few people. And then the next guy was like, maintained the generators, kept them running during the mountain warfare training, blah, 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 blah. And then the next guy was like the same thing. And that's not me. Me saying it like that is not me downgrading what they did because I was a Lance Corporal when I received my first NAM from working on that ITV program because as a Lance Corporal, I was a senior mechanic and I was like helping design and do stuff. So I know as someone that's, what I so what I thought was fucked up about it is is I don't think it was fucked up that they got the award. I think it was fucked up that they gave them the award at the same time that they gave me my award. Because I think what should have been a proud moment for them, like it was for me when I was a Lance Corporal and I received a NAM, um, I think kind of was shit on a little bit by my own award kind of overshadowing it. And I thought that was fucked up. I thought they should have done mine separately from those guys because. I honestly felt bad because I thought I was like, man, and that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like I got, I got a NAM for combat actions. I did all this stuff. These guys also got a NAM for like, literally it was literally like running generators during a, uh, battalion field op or maybe regimental field op, whatever they were, whoever they were attached to at the time, they were in mountain warfare training. And, I'm not saying that I should have gotten a higher reward or they should have gotten a lower reward reward um, or anything like that, but it's just not, that's, that's fucked up. I think that's fucked up. I think either people will look at that like that's a slap to me because mine, you know, is, that is you know, oh, I've had people tell me that like that's, it's not even equivalent to that. Like that's after the formation guys are actually like, dude, I felt bad for those dudes too. And I was like, okay, like it's not just me then. It's just, I just thought it was fucked up that they, Gave them their award at the same time I I got mine because I thought it I thought mine was overshadowing them and I didn't want them to feel like their award wasn't justified or worth it. I don't know what they did. I didn't know the guys, but I just knowing someone that has received an an, an award, um, you want to feel like your hard work was appreciated, and I I'm sure they do, and I'm sure they're proud of that award. and They should be. I just felt like at the in the moment they didn't get to celebrate it as well as they could have because mine kind of overshadowed it, and that's just kind of one of those. The whole award system in the Marine Corps is fucked up, I think. And that's just my opinion. So, um, yeah. I had 
we're at an hour and 15 minutes or so. I had one other question, and I don't know if I want to answer it. I kind of want to save it. It's from Andrew DeMauro. He knows me, and he's heard a lot of my stories. So, man, this could be another... I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it just because it's midnight. I have Italian at 9.30 in the morning, and I still have to end this podcast and then edit it and send it up, uh, upload it so that you guys can all listen to it. So I'm going to, I'm going to save that story for next time. Um, this, so this recording was not, it was supposed to be an interview, like I said before, and it got messed up. I want to keep, you know, in my eyes, it's continuity. I want to, I want to be, um, something that you guys can get used to like, Hey, every Thursday at I know it's coming out. I know former Action Guys podcast, new episode. So, anyway, I just want you to know that that's the reason I, I did this episode this week. I have three interviews coming up um, this next week. I'm supposed to do um, an interview with that Vietnam pilot, man. I've been, I've been dying to get this guy to sit down. We, Him and I schedule. It's just not working out. But I want to sit down and um, record this interview and go in, in depth about what it was like to be shot down over Vietnam, man, like, that's just insane, he got rescued and stuff, he wasn't a POW or anything, but, I mean, how many people can say they've been shot down in in enemy airspace, you know, or in any, wherever, and live to tell about it, and, um, so I I definitely want to get his story, I also have the former Sergeant Major of 1st Anglico, uh, he's gonna, he's gonna sit down with me this week, and then one of the guys that was on my team, who's now a police officer um, with first, or he was with First Anglico, and um, he's now a police officer uh, in San Diego. So I think, or he was a police officer in San Diego, and he's moved to Chula Vista. So I think he he'll have some good stories about his time in Afghanistan, but also um, I want him to go into detail about transitioning over to become a police officer and stuff like that, because I know a lot of guys that's an option. That's a that's a big option for guys that come out of the military because it's a um, I don't know. It's kind of a similar environment. It's kind of high paced and you're around people. I don't know. It's just one of those jobs. So, uh, I think it'd be good for him to come on and talk about his experiences through, um, going through the Academy and stuff like that. And then I have a couple, I have a, I have another buddy who's in Colorado right now, who's in the, um, police Academy. And when he's done with that, we're going to sit down with him also because he's done two academies, which is crazy. Cause he did one for the sheriffs in, in Colorado Decided he didn't like it. Started working, I think, doing IT and stuff. And said, fuck that. And went back to being a cop. Like, he wanted to go out and be a street cop. So, um, he went through a different department. But So, I want to hear his story. And kind of, he can compare and contrast, like, the differences. Because as a county sheriff, you start out working in the jails and stuff like that. And where this, he'll be out working on the street. So, I think that'll be a good one. Um, again, like I said at, at the beginning, I'd like, if anyone knows a CCT or a JTAC from the Air Force that would like to come on and just kind of talk about the experiences and the pipeline and stuff like that. I think it'd be good, um, good information for guys that aren't in the military yet. And, uh, good information for guys that are considering, um, doing an inner service transfer, I think is what it's called. Um, so outside of that, make sure to check out my website again, jkramergraphics.com. Um, hit up the Instagram, jkramergraphics, hit me up on Twitter, uh, former action guys. That's number four, MER action guys. And yeah, Well, have a good one, and I will talk to you guys next week with the next episode. I'm not sure which one of those three um, I'm going to have recorded and edited first. I think it might be the Sergeant Major one, so that should be a good time. I think thanks to everyone for listening. Um, Keep spreading the word. Um, I've been getting 
been more more and more positive feedback i'm at over almost 2000 downloads and um streams so far so i appreciate everybody putting it out there and again if you got any questions or whatever hit me up if not uh see you guys on the next side